Hey guys, well, welcome to another episode of the Known Experience Podcast. Uh, we are excited to be here with uh, Dr. Jake Hyde, and I'm not going to give a breakdown of what he does because, or an actual title besides doctor, because I want him to describe that. John from Dallas uh, on the line, as always. How you doing, boys? It's good to have you. Sean, thanks for the warm welcome. <laughs> oh, like you're very excited to talk to an old friend. Yeah. Uh, thanks for thanks for leaving all the work up to me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm happy to do it. But you're not alone. My even my wife doesn't know exactly how to describe me as a physician. So you're not alone in that. I, that's why I was like, <laughs> John's like, do you want Sean to do? I'm like, I want to see what he does. So yes. <laughs> and he kicked it right back to you. He so, did. He did. Uh, you know, but I I didn't do that um, because I'm I'm lazy. I just I think it's really important. You know, when you choose to operate and do things the way Jake does, mm-hmm. it, you're very intentional, right? So, being labeled a chiropractor doesn't seem like something he would he would just uh, be okay with. So, I mean, well, it is funny to say like label someone as a chiropractor because that's my doctorate, right? <laughs> so that's like descriptive of my my degree yes um but people i guess something that isn't mainstream information is chiropractors aren't um as predictable as you would think like it's similar Mm -hmm. with the medical doctor if i were to tell you i'm a medical doctor you'd be like what do you do Mm -hmm. you know because you specialize and a lot of people i didn't know this either by the way so i'm not I'm not looking down at anybody. I had no idea until I started getting into this. This was like an adulthood mm-hmm. before I made the choice. I thought I knew what chiropractors did and they specialized too, just like, uh, just like medical doctors, but also like physical therapists also would specialize. Right. And even dentists can special, I mean, their specialties within specialties. So yeah. So <laughs> you don't have to label me as chiropractor. That is my doctorate. But would you be surprised by what I did if you didn't know much about? Yeah. Yeah. It's not, I'm not, I'm not cracking a lot of backs these days. But but before we get into that, I I'll just, uh, you know, call it the elephant in the room. Like if you, if you mention the word (laughs) chiropractor, you have a a vast spectrum of responses uh, that people. Oh yeah. People, cause it's so funny. People are like, you believe in that? You know, this is like early on in my, pursuits like you believe in chiropractic like is this a denomination like is this this a faith base and for some people yeah like it is it's like you believe in it i'm like this isn't like sorcery it's uh it's very scientific and and it is very scientific and perhaps maybe that wasn't always true to be fair to some like the critics but it was like pretty scientific you know, from the get-go. And, and that's for a profession that's like 130 years old officially, although you can trace its origins back thousands of years in other cultures. But Well, yeah. before you said you don't crack backs, before we get into what you do, could could you just start by saying, why do you do what you do? Like, what what's the compelling, inspiring belief that you have that makes you excited to uh, work in the medical profession in the way that you do? Okay, well, it started with, in my mid twenties, I guess. So I, you know, I, I didn't know I was going to be a doctor out the gate. So I studied business and philosophy in undergrad and ended up in kind of marketing type of world for a few years. But 
I wasn't satisfied with the pursuit of a paycheck. So I, I got some promotions and I had some success and I, and I realized none of that was motivating me to, <laughs> to keep going. So reflecting on well, what could I do where driving home at the end of the day felt good? Cause I would drive home, you know, I was 25 or whatever time being like, what did I do? Made money. Is that what I did? And I'm like that. And then like, some people just need to get a paycheck and they go home and they find meaning in that. And so I have nothing wrong with that, but I felt called to uh, leave work feeling like I benefited my community in some capacity. So I started thinking about things I was passionate about and it was always health. Always liked health. I was interested. I was an athlete. Um, and I even had some chronic health issues in my youth that were resolved kind of naturally thanks to just I guess the innate wisdom of my mom who just tried some things like I remember I, I was anemic. I had bad strep every year of my life, like clockwork. And in sixth grade or something, she was just like, let's stop drinking soda in this house. <laughs> something very simple. And that was the last time I had strep throat kind of a thing. Just like, cause I was drinking like three a day and on top of other sugary things, you know, mm-hmm. that's got me early, early on into nutrition and, and just being fascinated by it. And as an athlete, I was always into like exercise science. And even though my athletic trainers maybe were operating on outdated information. That was polite. <laughs> I wish I could go back and I could prevent some injuries that I had to deal with uh, in high school and college. Cause my sophomore year of college, I couldn't even get on. I was playing basketball. I couldn't even stay on the court. I had so many injuries. It was just, it was brutal. My body was falling apart. And, uh, I could have, I could have prevented that now, but so I was always in, interested in that. I used to know where I wanted to operate. And at the time there was like Obamacare was a big conversation. Uh, we're talking, you know, the 08, 09 time period for me. And that got me really interested in healthcare since it was the thing people were talking about the most. And people were talking about the cost of it. I, I noticed a lot of people weren't talking about health. They were talking about economics and you know, I was looking into it. And I'm like, wow, like healthcare is really expensive. We're, like our government, for example, spends a ton of money on healthcare. And looking into like, what are the costs? They all seem to be lifestyle based chronic diseases. So it's heart disease and strokes and cancer, like degeneration, dementia, things like that. And uh, I was like, you know, that's something that gets me motivated. Like if people could be healthier, um, and I, I was looking like, well, what's the actual underlying health issue in our country? And it seemed to me to be an educational issue. It's like, what's the underlying pathology? And it's like, to me, it seemed we don't know how to care for ourselves. Okay. I'm not speaking like from like, I'm not grandstanding here at that time. I thought I knew how to care for myself. Uh, but I was wrong. We can get into that in more detail if you want, but you know, I was reading like men's health magazine and like studying every article. And it's like, that led me to like pre-diabetic and insomnia. And like, I had health issues at that time. Mm. Uh, I had chronic low back issues. I, I was I was kind of a mess. I looked healthy and I was actually kind of a ticking time bomb of it all falling apart. But uh, yeah, it's, it, it became very clear we don't know what health is and that makes sense because we're talking about healthcare as the main conversation in our country 
and none of it had to do with health. So that was the initial motivation to change careers. I just didn't know how I wanted to do it. And I met with as many doctors as I could, not even just doctors, uh, other people in the profession, and just interviewed. What do you do? What's your day look like? What motivates you? Why do you do this? And all of them left me feeling a little empty until I talked to a chiropractor who, again, happens to not be uh, anything close to a typical chiropractor or a typical human being for that matter. It's a mentor of mine named Dr. Roland Phillips out in Chandler, Arizona. And he just the most was one of the most inspiring lunches I ever had. Really expanded my mind. And he let me shadow him in his office one afternoon. And I was like, I don't even believe that this is real. Like I'm, I was so uh, awake suddenly to possibility. And so after spending a little more time with him, I'm like, this is like something I can emulate. Now I don't, you know, I'm not a carbon copy of him. Not that I could be, if I tried, he's, he's a unicorn, but, uh, but that was, that was the most pivotal moment for me was that lunch with him. Is there anything that you remember that stands out from that lunch that he said or questions you asked? Um, I don't know about like questions I asked, but you guys want to know, this is like a really interesting thing that stuck with me that might make for good podcast material. (laughs) Uh, We were in a sports bar just next to his office and it came on the news. It was like Tiger Woods is going to have to have another surgery. Uh, I was like ESPN was on or whatever. And he looks up at the TV and he's like, that guy's guilty. And I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, there's no way an athlete that elite playing a non-contact sport keeps getting injured like this unless he's subconsciously self-sabotaging. And so he's like, the best guess here is, uh, He's just carrying some guilt. And here he is having all the success in the world, like top of his career, tons of money. Uh, If he feels guilty and he's feeling get away with it, like it's very likely you could self-sabotage in one of three areas, which would be either self-sabotage your health, self-sabotage your career, or uh, self-sabotage your relationships. And weirdly enough, he decided to self-sabotage his career. By ke- he kept getting hurt. And this is, all, again, all sub- subconscious stuff. And then, like, I was like, that's really interesting. And then a week later, all the scandal came out about Tiger. Mm. Yeah, it all came out that week. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, wait a second. <laughs> Cause I thought my mentor, and again, he wasn't, we had barely spent any time together. I thought he was like blowing smoke. I'm like, okay, interesting. You know, when he was like talking about this and a week later it was like, nope, he has like dozens of affairs, this whole secret life. And so that didn't, I didn't walk away from that being the most memorable thing. It just became the most memorable thing like a week later. And I was like, no way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I that, that kind of leads into one of my first questions for you. Uh, actually is, is uh, you deal a lot with uh, the nervous system, subconscious, the kind of integration of all that. And so do you find that a lot of people that first walk through your door are, uh, are carrying that unhealthy um, or maybe just disconnected, right? They don't even realize they're 
they're not healthy emotionally. Um, do you, do you see that manifest a lot in your clients? And then that's really what you've shifted for, you know, you say you don't crack back. So <laughs> yeah, one of my good bu- chiropractic buddies says I, I adjust people's brains. Yeah. Right. Uh, but I'll do manual work on people because I do love that work. And I mean, 90% of my work right now is virtual. And now I have clients all over the place, but uh, people in person, like I'll still do manual work on them because I do love it and it can be really helpful. But I do find that, again, the body is pretty good at self-correcting. Hmm. And if I need to force the body into a certain movement pattern, then there's probably a reason there's resistance there there's a reason there's a pattern there so if i can go deeper in the neurology of like why does the body want to hold itself this way then they don't need to be adjusted their body selfs correct so i can I, I can use my traditional chiropractic evaluation and i'm looking at someone in person and it's like uh the body is self-correcting right now which is what it's supposed to do and so when i was doing manual adjustments like as an intern as a resident yeah, I'd see people improve on the table. And then next time they came in for a visit, it looked pretty similar. And they're grateful. They'd leave the office being like, oh, I feel great. And then they come back in and I'm evaluating them. Like, And you take notes, right? So you're comparing this week to last week. And you're like, this is the same stuff that I'm working on. And that's to be expected if you're trying to re-educate the body just simply mechanically or physically. And so that's why a lot of chiropractic uh, treatment plans are getting, you're talking like 15 to 20 visits on a lot of plans that you'll go into. Like if you get a proper evaluation, the chiropractor be like, okay, we can help you with this like low back issue, but it's going to be like 15 visits. And if you can stick to that plan, like you're usually feeling pretty good in 15 visits, but I find with going more up the neurological chain to what's informing the body on how to behave, then people can resolve their issues pretty quickly. When did you, I don't even know if that's the question you asked. when did you make that shift from you know maybe a more traditional chiropractic mindset to uh, what sounds like a more neurological psychological foundation well i always had the shift because i i got into chiropractic because of a very unique type of chiropractor that was doing his own thing that was more Neuroemotional would be the umbrella under which it operates or some, you know, now podcast world's getting more hold of it. They're calling like energy psychology, which probably deserves its own conversation, but that's kind of where he was at. So that was my exposure to chiropractic was someone doing something highly unique, more involving the brain and the energy field. And so I was already there, but when I got into school, I learned, I was just learning everything that that was being taught. And by the time I got my first residency set up, it was more for like for a sports chiropractor kind of guy. And I was doing a lot more sports chiropractic work, which, which kind of looks like physical therapy, to be honest. But I was doing more functional movement, which is retraining the body to move more appropriately, meaning you can move now through space or move carrying a burden and make it less stressful in the body because the ultimate source of all disease is, is exhaustion and exhaustion comes from having to adapt to a stress. That's either too immense to adapt to in real time or, or the duration is just too long to where it eventually breaks you down. And so that's the cause of, you could say 
all dysfunction in the body is exhaustion, whether it comes from physical exhaustion, which could be, again, acute, getting hit by a bus. That's like too much stress at once to deal with, right? So you can, if you can look at stress as something acting on the body that requires adaptation, meaning your body, your biology is forced to do something about this, right? That's what stress is essentially. And so there's good stress, which we can talk about. Uh, but in this instance, this is what's causing to like break down pathology, disease, dysfunction in the body is like stress. That's too much to adapt to in real time. Like I could probably fall off uh, a skateboard right now. Um, Cause you know, I'm still kind of athletic. I, mean, I haven't lost it all. Like I, I know how to fall, right? I could adapt to that. But like my mom probably would break something if she fell off a skateboard. Does that make sense? Or, or me. Or <laughs> maybe you, John. But like, if you get hit by a bus, like that's everybody. <laughs> we're all we're all going to have a problem adapting to that stress, right? So that's kind of between like uh, we're looking at like acute stresses, but physical stress can just be gravity, right? And so I remember one of my professors said that gravity always wins. Like we're all in a battle, and gravity always wins. And so the more you could do in your youth to set yourself up to fight that battle for longer is good because you see these old people and they're hunched over and they have a interesting gait in their step, like one or multiple joints are bothering them. And like they're five inches shorter than they were in their twenties or whatever. It's like gravity is uh, unceasing. And so that's a type of chronic stress, but chronic stress could be like sitting at a desk, uh, you know, sitting in a chair in a cubicle for 30 years. Like Mm -hmm. your body can sit in the chair, obviously, but it's not really designed to. So it means it has to adapt to that situation and some people adapt better than others but that's so that's your physical stress there's really just three categories that i use for teaching it's physical and biochemical and neuroemotional so biochemical examples would be like um i don't know if you swallowed cyanide like that'd be too acute like most people can't handle that but humans are really good at dealing with poisons actually uh alcohol (laughs) is pretty common one that we expose ourselves to but like there's toxins and like almost anything we buy at the store. Uh, And humans are just pretty good at dealing with it. But like if you uh, say just ate a really low nutrient, high toxicity diet over years, you know, processed foods, fast foods or whatever, that's going to, that's going to wear you out. And so that's why a lot of 20 year olds can have all the junk food they want typically and feel good. But it's because their bodies. Uh, very adaptive when you're young so it's like all right give me junk i'll still make new eyeball cells and i'll still i'll still make new brains yeah i'll take care of you but it it is depleting because again it it, anytime you have to adapt it it requires resources so that's biochemical and then the big one is neuroemotional stress and when i was looking into this because this is really my this is a core chiropractic philosophy actually is like the cause of all disease is either toxins trauma or thoughts and so i was looking at those so toxins would be your biochemical stress trauma would be your physical stress and then thoughts would be like okay well what's going on there and like how can i help people if that's the cause of disease how can i help people there as chiropractor and what it occurred to me was that's the majority of people's ailments are from thoughts because thoughts can include memories and it can include imagination and what you're seeing there is whereas these other categories of stress biochemical or physical like kind of happen in real time and you do have to deal with the consequences of them happening 
down the road. Like if you sprain your ankle, like you're going to feel that for three to six weeks. But um, thing about thoughts as a stressor, because the way our brain works is those can stack over time. So instead of dealing with the stress that's presented to you at the moment, like I just had pizza and beer with my buddies, like my body's got to adapt to that. Uh, imagine like if all the pizza you ate, like all the whatever biochemical stressors in that uh, stacked over time and your body had to still deal with like every poor food choice. With emotions, it doesn't, I'm not going to say every single poor choice, but your your mind can hold on to unresolved experiences from the past because your subconscious is so obsessed with survival. Like it'll replay those even when you don't consciously aren't aware of it because it's always trying to resolve stressful experiences because it, yeah. it wants to be more prepared. So you're reliving those all the time, either aware or unaware of it. And that's stressing your system, depleting resources used to adapt to life as it's actually happening. So what aging is, or what disease is, is like there's a failure to adapt and now you're behind, right? So you have all these tasks to do, right? Regeneration of muscle tissue and connective tissue and your skin and digest your meal and regulate your hormones and repair brain, clean your brain out at night while you sleep. All these things require energy. And what disease looks like, or you could say aging, is... Uh, you just body can't keep up anymore with adaptation. So it's not adapting. It's going to pick and choose. Okay, well, we can't do everything we need to do today. That's what are we going to do? And that's the body's intelligence keeping you alive longer, but it, that's what it looks like aging or it looks like disease in some cases. It's like some people are like, I don't want to have cancer, but you can make the argument like you having cancer was your body keeping you alive. It's like, all right, immune system, um, is not a priority right now. So we're not looking for cancerous cells for the moment. We're trying to just keep the system going because your immune system takes a ton of energy. I'm so glad you brought all that up because that's something that Sean and I've talked about a little bit. Uh, is, is this what you would call, is this in the somatic space? Somatic just means body. So, so like somatic therapy engage. So, okay. That'd be like, so that'd be psychosomatic. Yeah. So psychosomatic implies like how is the mind affecting the body mm -hmm. and you could say vice versa too. Yeah. But that's, it also gets a bad rap because people say it's psychosomatic and it's like, well, you mean this is just in my head. Mm -hmm. And some people get, some people come into my office paranoid about that. They're like, this isn't in my head. I promise. I'm like, Oh, so someone else told you you're fine, which I get a lot of people with a chronic illness and they'll get scans, they'll get blood work. And it's like, there's nothing wrong with you. And the person is like, then why do I feel this way? You know, and it's like a doctor might say, well, it's in your head. And I mean, if you think about it, what isn't in your head? This conversation's in your head, whether you're John or Sean or listening to this, like everything that you're experiencing is a perception. And your brain is making the most of the information that's coming in and it's trying to make meaning out of it. But it's like, you've never experienced anything that wasn't in your head. It's one way to think about it. So if it's like, I don't think it's just in your head is like downplaying something. But I also try to help pe people realize, because uh, I had someone actually this morning who has some like GI stuff and she got scanned and like, it looks good. 
there's nothing wrong. It's like, well, then why is this happening to me? Like, why is this pain in this area? Why is there this comfort with digestion? And then, you know, they did the mechanical look. They did, you know, they the reductionist line of thinking and said, like, labs look good. Images look good. Like, you're okay. She's not functioning like she's okay. And so is it in her head? What do we even mean by that? <laughs> oh, this is so... This is so good. This is why I love talking to you, Jake. What do you think about this, Sean? I haven't heard from you in a second. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I, I, you know, I, one of the things that I often think about, right, is always optimizing life, right? So experiencing life in the best way that we can and relationships. And so when I was thinking about you coming on today, um, we, we segment, right? So like, oh, even if you're sick and you're overweight or something, you can be like, oh, my relationships are great. All my relationships are great. They're healthy. Yeah. But I don't know if they, if you can have a life that like those are, probably are still not optimal, right? Because you're suffering physically. So like, like, is there, is there this connection? Can we really ever live our best life? physically, emotionally, um, if we're not tuned into it, it all as much as we can. Right. So if we kind of neglect and we say, Oh, that's not important, or this isn't important, then we're, then it, the bleed into the other areas is going to happen. So it's actually, uh, a negative for us in saying that part of my life doesn't, doesn't matter. Do you know what I'm saying? Because, yeah. because it will carry over right into gastrointestinal or whatever it may be. Do you understand? Maybe I'm not being clear. I but... do. So there's four pillars of health. Okay. There's four pillars. Uh, and so it's like four legs of this desk that I'm sitting at right now where you can individually look at the legs and say like, that's separate from that other leg. You can't take a leg away and it still be, still be a desk, not this rectangular desk anyway. Uh, and so you can look at one of those pillars if you want to, and like try to really understand it, but you can't really separate them. And so the four pillars are your physical health, your mental health, your emotional health, which are different. We can talk about that if you have questions and then uh, spiritual health and your spiritual health. Like people are like, I'm not, I don't believe in whatever. And it's like, well, there's still spiritual health. Um, and that's kind of your feeling of connection to things that are outside of yourself. Right. So you could feel connected to nature. You could feel connected to music. You could feel like you're more than the meat suit that you are, you know, more than this bag of chemicals that you carry around. Like that's, that's your spiritual health is that uh, underlying connection to all things. And so everyone has a sense of that, whether you're religious or spiritual or whatever. But so, so those are the four pillars of health. Again, you can just look at physical health as much as you want and say, I have that on lock, but it's not going to be separate. So again, if one of the four legs isn't functional, the whole system is going to have some consequences. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, no, that's, that's exactly it. And, you know, this is a podcast predominantly for men, right? Um, We focus on, and um, I don't know if you knew that, but that's a change um, of pace for me, actually, (laughs) usually. Like that holistic healthcare space is dominated by women. Oh, mm. Yes. So going into that, right. So 
why why is there data is there something physically or psychologically that is built into us that makes us somewhat deficient <laughs> in like the curiosity to you know to work on connectedness or you know our our developing our interpersonal skills or you know deep friendships or vulnerability right so obviously there's cultural things you could go back to cavemen yada yada but does modern medicine show any data that kind of supports this this kind of glass ceiling men seem to have in our desire or ability to kind of want vulnerable authentic you know deep connected friendships or relationships well my like field research indicates that all all men do want that um, and they don't know that they do. So they might be sitting at home being perfectly content with the way their life is, but with presented with an opportunity for deeper connection, like male to male connection, they are interested in that. And so it could, yeah, that could be a cultural thing. Like you said, like we don't, we're not raised thinking that's a important component of a well-balanced, you know, life well-lived type of thing. But it is. And every man, when presented with the opportunity, will choose like a, a male connection when it feels healthy and safe. Because not every guy, you're not going to bond with every guy. You know, not in that deep sense. Like what is, what's fun about guys is like we're super good at the middle. Uh, and this is generalization. So people listening that are like, you're general. I am generalizing. So, uh, but generally speaking, women can do really intimate friendships pretty well and they can't do medium friendships as well and that's not true across the board because there's more overlap with male and female than there is difference but you know men can do that like i see this guy at this event that my wife dragged me to and like we have a good time you know we have fun together you know i was like i have i was happy i saw him you know we talked what do you talk your wife's like what do you talk about oh i don't know football i don't know what we talked about i just had fun <laughs> you know Cause you're kind of like surface bonding. Uh, well, women can either be like super best friends or like, I can't believe that girl said that about me or whatever. You are like, wait, what? I was there. What did she, what did she do? And it's just like, though naturally you can actually put distance around people unless you feel safe around them. And women tend to be safe and men kind of be like, I'm friends with everybody and uh, no one knows who I am. Yeah. So, but, so what you're saying is there's no data to support a biological difference in, in like, let's say, uh, you know, part of our brain isn't lit up like women's just naturally. Um, and again, you're, you know, no, I, this, I don't think there's, I don't think there's medical maybe. data because okay, even looking at testosterone, which is like, what's some of the, like the bigger biochemical differences? Uh, I, it's, it appears the latest research shows like we're pretty wrong about testosterone. Testosterone doesn't make you aggressive. We often thought it would. It just makes you uh, more. I don't know if that makes sense, but if you're kind of aggressive, testosterone will make you more aggressive. Right. But if you're, um, Naturally, if you're a motivated person, testosterone make you more motivated, right? If you're this benevolent person that wants to really help people, testosterone will make you like more benevolent. It'll get you out there to do more good. Hmm. Uh, 
and again, this is more stuff that, you know, came across my studies like a year ago, but that idea of just uh, aggressiveness, which that was a model that was held for a couple of decades seems to be incorrect. If you are aggressive, it will make you more aggressive, but it'll just make you more of whatever's going on. And some of these like an initial testosterone tests were like lab rats they put in stressful situations. Give more testosterone in a stressful situation and see what happens, you know? So yeah, it's not testosterone that makes men less likely to connect deeper. So you don't have to be an effeminate man. I think it really is environmental. So if you're in an environment where there's like masculine leadership that invites vulnerability, like you'll see a vulnerable group of men. But that's just, that's not really fostered. So yeah, there's no medical data I've seen that says men have a hard time being more intimate and vulnerable in a communal aspect, let alone like a romantic one. Mm-hmm. And men seem to want it. Like we started, we started a men's group, Sean. Do you remember it? In West Palm, me and you? Yeah, Scotch and Science. That's right. And so... I was already part of a men's group that already had this uh, is through church and it already had like this vulnerability Brene Brown kind of model built into it. And the pastor bought into it and the leadership did. And so the people that were drawn into it already like primed ready for this. And those were, that was really meaningful group for me, but I was in this community, uh, you know, our like business, you and I were both business owners in the same area. And like, we had all these cool people we talked to. And I was like, how do I get all these people under the same roof to like have these deeper conversations and get real? And I, <laughs> I had this idea that, you know, we'll, we'll kind of pose the idea of a night out. So alcohol, whiskey, scotch, and these deeper scientific conversations uh, and I kind of designed it. I marketed it and I didn't market it. It wasn't up to the public. It was invite only because I was targeting specific people like Sean. Specifically, I was targeting you, Sean, but also some of the other guys. And I was like, we're going to solve some of the world's mysteries using our intellects and alcohol. And so we start talking about these broad, unsolvable ideas as an exercise in opening our mind space maybe have a drink. Now there are some sober people in the group, like the alcohol wasn't required, but it does help some people. And uh, so we're having these broader conversations about these paradoxes in the universe that don't make sense. And it starts going from what, like these scientific paradoxes into applications. Like what could this mean to our reality to like real conversations about family and struggles and like careers and work and struggles with uh spirituality and it it got real about an hour and a half into it (laughs) because if we're all these pretend philosophers for like the first hour yeah and then like it just got real and vulnerable yeah it always ended that way yeah it was was, yeah you couldn't even tell when one stopped the other started but it always Mm -hmm. ended with that it always got there I was I was reading on your website. There's this quote from Viktor Frankl, um, which is a man's search for meaning. If you haven't read it, highly recommend it. It was recommended to me by John Foreman like 15 years ago, probably. Switchfoot guy? The switchfoot guy. Oh, uh, if you, name if, drop. 
anyone here ever gets a chance to talk to him, just ask him, what are you reading? Because you will get something good. Uh, I promise. Um, but he says, uh, Victor Frankl says, everything can be taken from a man, but one thing, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances to choose one's own way. And that's, that's something that, that, my therapist has been working with me on it's just mindset attitude perspective how you frame things and something that he's been teaching me is how you know physical trauma ha happens momentarily and it it heals over time typically right and then it goes away right like if i mm -hmm. stub my toe today i'm not going to remember stubbing my toe a year from now and be re-injured again right certainly won't remember what it felt like no yeah yeah. But um but emotional trauma or emotional pain or suffering um can it, you know your mind and your body will react to that but then you can relive it over and over again, right? Like this happened to me I was in the grocery store after learning this. I was shopping for groceries and just this negative memory had crept in and I was just ruminating over it and I could feel it. And it just suddenly like the light went on. I was like, "Hey, I'm I don't have to stay in this moment." I don't, and, I, and I'm like re-injuring myself uh, right now as I'm walking through the grocery store. So tell us about that and, and just like how powerful that can be to stop that cycle in your life of letting memories continue to re-injure you and affect mm -hmm. your body. So I'll start by saying like anger is a perfectly healthy emotion to experience. Anger becomes a problem when it's held on to. And so over time, and so that, that would be like your typical Jungian attachment type of thing where you start to identify as an angry person versus someone who's experienced anger, right? It could be like, I'm experiencing anger right now, right? And it's like, well, what happened? <laughs> it's like an injustice happened. It's like, okay, well, yeah, anger. That's the right, that's the right move right there, right? Because what anger is very useful at is it's like, getting you off the couch like anger is energizing especially if you're in a lower consciousness state like if you're operating out of shame guilt apathy fear anger can get you you can overcome fear and it can get you to take action right so anger has its uses it's less likely to be constructive it's more likely to be destructive but at least the getting you off the couch part is useful so anger becomes an issue when it's held on to you you become angry and that can over time look like resentment or bitterness and things like that. And those can become very problematic. And I have a theory, maybe it's not my theory, but I can't remember if I got this from anyone else, but it seems to me that anger after a certain period, and you can say generously a year and a half, so 18 months, if you're still angry from an experience that happened a year and a half ago, then it's you're probably angry at yourself right so un, you could say unforgiveness that's lasted over a year and a half is unforgiveness towards self because at some point you realize that anger is not serving a, a purpose other than making you feel a certain way and that feeling is not good like there's an initial and like an initial surge of energy which feels good about anger but like anger over a period of time does not feel good you feel weakened by it and so if you're selecting that subconsciously like i'm going to hold on to anger that's a form of self-punishment okay and so what there is at the source there is unforgiveness towards self 
because humans have this sauce, like this built in innate sense of justice. And if we're not being, if like, if we're holding ourselves as a wrongdoer, as a perpetrator and the world's not punishing us, uh, we'll find a way to punish ourselves. In anger, chronic anger, bitterness or resentment or unforgiveness is a good way of, it's a good type of self-punishment. So if you think like, why do I think I deserve to feel this way? It's because you think you deserve suffering and you've selected bitterness or resentment versus, you know, other emotional forms of self-punishment, which could be, you know, guilt or shame or something like that. But Anger can be a little sneakier because if you're, if you have a chronic sense of shame, uh, you kind of say, if you can be aware and shame's difficult because it's so low consciousness, there's not a lot going on there. Uh, so if you can notice shame, then it's like, you can start taking steps, but anger is sneaky because you think it's not me it's this other event. So you put blame elsewhere and that doesn't necessarily invite you to do the deeper work. Whereas like shame is something that super invites you to do the deeper work. But, but if you're still angry at something, if you're un, if you have unforgiveness towards something that happened a long time ago, the best place to start is where am I holding unforgiveness towards self? Cause if you can resolve that self anger, that self hatred, then it becomes easy to forgive. And forgiveness doesn't mean forget. It means I no longer identify with that experience. That experience doesn't define me and it doesn't have anything to say about who I am as a person. But if you think you deserve suffering because you're, you have unforgiveness towards yourself, then until that's resolved, you're going to find a way to suffer. What are some ways you see that manifest physically? Well, anger is traditionally connected to the heart. This is in like Eastern medicine, traditionally. And so, I don't know, what's the number one cause of death in the country? Heart disease. Um, and it's funny because we've been studying heart disease for a while, like intently since the 60s. A lot of resources go towards it. And in the 60s, we thought we discovered the source of heart disease. And um, it's like 30 times worse now than it was then. So always kind of ponder these questions. Do we have any idea what causes heart disease? Because, well, since we discovered the source, and initially they thought it was cholesterol and saturated fat, uh, and like placking of the arteries, it's like it's gotten worse than ever. And not even a little bit worse, like exponentially worse. So... Maybe, maybe we're wrong about that. I mean, there's a nutritional component to heart disease for sure, but that's only a component to it. And so like a myocardial infa- infarction, like a heart attack, uh, maybe there's chronic anger behind it. And there's other researchers that I've seen. Dr. Bruce Lipton, who's a cell biologist, has some interesting data on this where it's like he sees anger behind a lot of cancers. And so this will get you in the weeds a little bit scientifically if you want to go there. I know we don't have a ton of time, but we can get there. I can try to be concise. That's not my strength, but I can try. <laughs> I mean, you mentioned a, a patient with a GI problem, which is, to me, it seems like one of the most obvious ways that, that we can all relate to. No matter what you believe about all the stuff that you're saying right now, 
We all know what it feels like to be sick to your stomach or to be anxious and have an upset stomach or stressed and have acid in your stomach. Where do you see those things connecting? Traditionally, there's different emotional attachments connected to different organ or glandular systems. So like large intestine, traditionally, they're going to associate more with like a stubbornness or rigidity, inflexibility, uh, also some like guilt. guilt. Guilt's underlying a lot of these things. Heart is also connected to guilt in some ways. Um, small intestine has more to do with like uh, abandonment and rejection. Stomach's going to be more despair, disappointment, like emotional hunger, a longing mm-hmm. for something you don't have. Uh, greed, that's, I guess greed's kind of a longing for something maybe you don't have too. So anyway, Uh, there's connections there emotionally, but what something to think about then, if we're going to try to keep this concise is every emotion you have is a physical experience. So we can think of emotions often as something ethereal or abstract, but every feeling you have creates a cascade of chemical changes in the body. Every feeling creates a multitude of chemical changes in the body. Right. So fear can create something like 150 known chemical reaction that's known. And we probably know very little about the human body probably. Okay. But we can like see 150 different chemical changes in the body just with the feeling of fear and what's informing individual cells is their environment is the science is called epigenetics. And so the cell membrane, which is actually the brain of the body, it's not the nucleus. The nucleus is like the gonads of the body. The brain of the body is actually the cell membrane. It's what's receiving information and data and it's making choices. And some of those choices are sending signals down to the nucleus to, to create proteins or to alter expression genetically in some capacity. And a lot of what the cell is getting from what do we need to do? What's the functionality right now comes from your emotional state. And so you're having all these emotions and the emotions create the chemicals, the biochemistry in the body. And then the cell gets informed of like, well, what's going on right now? What do we need to do? And what do we need to perform? And so your emotions are nothing. They're very physical. And we're designed to have this dynamic experience where we can feel all the emotions and we can, you know, look at stomach. You talked about acid reflex, like your stomach's very dynamic you know, when you're in between meals, your stomach pH should be around five, which is lemon juice. Or when you're, you ate a steak dinner, it should get down to like 1.5, which, you know, hydrochloric acid, like you can dissolve a piece of steak with that. But you can't have it be a 1.5 at all times because it would dissolve your stomach. And you can't have it be at 0.5 all the time because you can dissolve proteins. So we're, we're designed to be dynamic. So the problem is when we, we step out of our harmony and we become attached to like fear, I'm fearful all the time, I'm anxious all the time, or I'm depressed, or I'm angry all the time. And then we start to lose that dynamic quality. And because we can relive the past, this is where it becomes dangerous. Your cells are like, what, do, what function do we need to perform right now? And it's getting information biochemically in your environment. And you can argue in the field as well because you're, you're more than your chemicals you you radiate a field and that field has data just like wi- wi-fi does or 5g towers or whatever uh but nonetheless you're getting biochemical information and the cells deciding what to do and that's also deciding what genes to express and what proteins to synthesize 
And so the issue with staying in these emotional states is like, if you're staying in anger all the time, you're creating a biochemical environment of conflict. And so that's, I think maybe at the root of some of what these researchers are investigating is like people connected to chronic anger might be more inclined to grow tumor cells because in reality, we're all growing tumors all the time. Okay. But our body is designed and has like so much redundancy built in. It's ridiculous of identifying dysfunction and dealing with it, especially when it comes to cancer, there's all kinds of checklists that should prevent it. So in reality is like in chronic anger, the cell to cell communication gets interfered with. So you could think of like, uh, at a super loud concert, I'm trying to talk to Sean and I can't because the music's too loud. And so I want to say like, Hey man, I need less, you know, time to go. And I have to like shout at him or whatever. You have to read my lips. Um, that can happen in these emotional states, especially emotions that create more inflammation. Cause what inflammation ultimately does is it degrades or creates too much static for cells to communicate effectively biochemically. And so now what can happen is individual cells start to think they're alone. Where if they think they're part of the larger community, a cell would re recognize that there's an error in its uh, ability to replicate mitosis. And what it would do is signal itself for cell destruction. It's a cool word called apoptosis, which is one of my favorite words in cell biology. But essentially cell signaling itself for death. It's like, there's an error. I can't replicate like... It'll mark itself for like cell suicide, essentially. And then other parts of your immune system will come and like sweep up the materials and like very intelligently recycle materials that are useful, get rid of waste. It's a pretty cool system. But if the cell thinks it's alone, it's like, I'm by myself. It's up to me now. Like I have to replicate no matter what. And so it'll replicate unchecked, even though it there's an error that it could identify, but it's changed its... It's changes operation system. Instead of being like, we're caring for the, the community, the 50 trillion cells that I'm part of, it's like, it's me now, and I have to go on. And so it'll replicate no matter what. And then it's the offspring, right, also get this, have the same chemical messages. Now, you can change the chemical messaging, and tumors spontaneously remiss all the time, and it's typically because people have a change in their emotional experiences. I don't care if that's like in my office, or if that's in an operating room and like someone forgives them or it's in like a spiritual healing service where again, typically forgiveness is going to be part of that healing service. People get a change in their chemical environment, but that change in their chemical environment often comes from a change in their emotional experiences, the way they see themselves. Uh, th this is so funny. First of all, I now know why the Huberman podcast always goes like three hours long because there is so much to talk about in the medical field. I mean, it's, it's just crazy, right? Like, you know, talking about the cell, I was just thinking of a man, right? Like <laughs> you're talking about a cell and when they're like, Oh, I'm alone starts I'm, time to look reading. out for number one. Yeah. 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 I was like, that's a lot of men, right? Mm -hmm. Like we, then you start operating kind of dysfunction and things can go sideways. You don't make great choices. Um, before you know it, your life can fall apart, <laughs> but uh, you know, yeah, that that or you or you become a cancer <laughs> or you become a cancer right so yeah it was pr that was pretty fascinating <laughs> that's all i could um envision when you were talking but 
Well, um, man, you know what? There is a reason some of those long format podcasts do what they do. Um, I'm happy to do a part two. I love talking. I feel like <laughs> I'm just getting like, I'm ready to hear from you guys. So I, I know that's what it, it feels like. Uh, this was almost the uh, laying the foundation for some of the application questions that I'm sure John and I would have, but uh, that's probably important. Yeah. I wanted to, what do you do now? Now that we know that <laughs> yeah. your emotions are physical, what do you do? Yeah. Well, I feel like from, I mean, from what's been happening with me, it's just even the awareness of it um, causes those things to get checked. You know, like I said, I was walking through the grocery store. I've, I've, I've had, I've been caught in negative thought patterns <laughs> a lot my whole life. But uh, the more I worked on it, the more I talked to people about it, the more I become self-aware, I can actually catch it, right? And, and do something with it which I've not been good at doing in the past. So I think some of it is just learning and be you're, you automatically become more aware, right? Well, awareness is key. So awareness you could think of if that is similar to, you know, enlightenment. Okay. So the more aware you can be, you say the more you can see your own reality, the more you can see yourself. And, and that's kind of enlightenment. If you want to, you want to do that. Mm-hmm. So the neuroscientists say maybe you're aware of, of like 5% of your day, meaning like 95% of your day is subconscious. Mm-hmm. And your subconscious cares primarily with survival. It doesn't really care about health or well-being or happiness or joy or peace. It cares about survival. And so the more aware of yourself you can be and the more present time conscious you can be, you can say that's, that's akin to health. And so that, I mean, that goes back to the four pillars analogy that I brought up earlier, where it's like, you have these four pillars of health, physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual. And the more you've integrated these, I mean, the more you've made them whole in your life, the, the more health you're going to experience. And in fact, that is, that's where the word health comes from. I like etymology. I like, like, where do we get these words from? And the word health comes back to this uh, Anglo-Saxon word in English called hall, which is the same word we get for whole. So that's the same word we get for holistic health. It's the same root word for holy. It's also the same root word for integrated, but it's like holy. What do you mean? So holy and health come from the same root? And it's like, they do. And that kind of makes sense. So someone, you think like 13th century, it's like, well, who's healthy? And it wouldn't be someone with six pack. <laughs> like, you probably just have a six pack because you do physical labor and you don't eat enough food. So, like, sure, that's not a big, that's not a big deal. But it's like, well, who's healthy in this environment? And it's the person that looks integrated, meaning they look aligned with themselves. They're not in inner conflict with themselves. They're not tormented by who they are. They feel very connected and they feel very at peace with who they are. And that's not to say like the saints, because you read about the lives of the saints, boy, were a lot of them conflicted. But it was through that conflict and through those challenges where they they found wholeness, where they found union ultimately, and they found peace. So there's nothing wrong with some suffering and you don't want to waste perfectly good suffering. Okay, so if you're listening to this, you do suffering. That's a thing that you have in your life. Uh, I do. I know Sean does. John, probably not an exception. 
And it's like, you don't want to waste perfectly good suffering. That is part of your path towards wholeness if you approach it such. So that goes back to your Victor Frankl for a quote. You know, he wrote that quote. Well, he probably didn't write it because he didn't have pen and paper. But he probably thought of that quote in Auschwitz. He was in a couple of different camps, I think. But he, he thought of it there. And so I often go back to my life. It's like, well, I'm suffering. I'm having a hard time. Uh, and I'm having a hard time regulating my emotions. I'm having a hard time regulating my nervous system. And um, part of it's because, like, what's my emotional state going into this challenge right now? Is it powerlessness? Is it aloneness? Is it shame? And I'm just, like, standing in line at UPS, you know? I'm like, gosh, let's take it forever. Whereas, like, Victor Franco was, like, digging trenches in the freezing cold, starving to death. So that's a powerful quote. That's a good book. John Foreman makes good book recommendations. Uh, I think that sums up. Pot, John Foreman <laughs> makes good book <laughs> recommendations. Uh, well, Jake, well, sorry, Dr. Dr. Jake Hyde. Um, thanks for, thanks for all of that, man. I mean, that's, that was, that was a packed, hour of uh of good stuff and now now you know why i hesitated to say what uh dr jake does because it's yeah. it's much more of a kaleidoscope of uh things than it is simple mechanics of of uh ligaments and bone manipulation so <laughs> yeah nothing wrong with that and i could help you but um right yeah I, we we didn't even get into you know, anything. I just appreciate this conversation. Like, mm -hmm. again, connecting with men, like, this is really good for me. So I'm enjoying this. Yeah. But uh, I got to go, sadly. Yeah. <laughs> tell, tell everybody how they can get in touch with you and how they can learn more about what you do. Uh, well, you can go to my website, um, drjakehyde.com, drjakehyde. Maybe it'll be in the show notes. Mm -hmm. And then I have social medias. If you search for that, a YouTube channel, you probably go to that. But there is a way you can reach out directly. So if you're that person who maybe was like lost in the met, like the medical system of like, uh, we don't know what's wrong with you, but you feel like there's an issue, then, um, find out like go through my website and reach out to me and I'll do for any listeners on the spot, I'll do a complimentary consult, which means you can just run some questions past me and I'll, I can direct you in the right way. Uh, totally complimentary. So uh, unless you guys have like a million listeners right. and then there might be a backlog. I'll try. How about that? I'll try. You know what? It, if both of our listeners uh, <laughs> email you on the same day, I think you can handle if it. If Sean's mom and John's mom <laughs> email me, I'll be happy to respond to it. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah I'll do my best. Uh, so yeah, I would love to, uh, you know, would love to be of service if I can. Awesome. Well, guys, we're going to talk about uh, Dr. Jake in the in the in the after show. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and just like every week, we hope you continue to experience the power that's found in being known. Welcome back for after the interview with Dr. Jake Hyde. And uh, Sean, um, I got to be honest, I was a little triggered by this one. <laughs> uh, I I think uh, 
it's not surprising. You know, I, the the more medicine kind of embraces a lot of this, what used to be kind of hippie ideology, right? Or perspective um, that is less, has less history, I guess, of data or trends or case studies, the more that, so I find it very interesting, but it opens it up to a lot of criticism too, right? Because uh, doctors like Jake come from a completely different perspective than traditional medicine. Um, and he may believe uh, vastly different things, which I'm sure you're going to talk about than what we're used to hearing. Um, so not surprising, buddy. <laughs> not surprising at all. Well, yeah. And I'm, I'm open. I mean, a lot of the stuff he talked about is stuff as we discussed in the podcast stuff that I've become more aware of in the last year or so. Yeah, right. um, I, you know, I will say, you know, I mean, everyone listening to this has an opinion about chiropractors. So sure. my, my initial opinion, just from my personal experience is not great, but I also have friends that I trust that are smart people that have had amazing experience with chiropractors. Uh, also, I also, to be fair, I'm equally skeptical of traditional medical doctors. Um, like anyone who's, who's uh, career and personal success uh, depends on a vocation, you have to be somewhat skeptical about their perspective on that vocation, because it's what is the most beneficial to them. Pro I mean, I'm sure everyone would like to think that they're altruistic in some way, and, and they don't let any of that affect them, but we're humans, right? So I'm equally yeah. skeptical of anyone who's trying to sell me something that benefits them, <sighs> uh, no matter who they are. Um, yeah. But I will say that like uh, this idea of the neuroemotional connection, I, I think everyone, if we're honest, can say, yeah, I mean, there's a there's a degree of that we've all experienced, right, where our minds affect our bodies. Wouldn't I mean, how have you experienced that? Oh, 100%. I mean, I, I'm one of those people that if there's a big event I'm putting on, I actually get sick, hmm. uh, usually the night before. I'll get a low grade fever um, and, and I'll have, you know, I'll think I'm getting sick, but I'm really not the next day. I'll be fine. But it's that kind of heightened, my body really reacts to expectation stress and it doesn't have to be bad. Right. It's just when I feel all in on something, I'll have a moment where my body kind of freaks out. And yeah. then, so I, I, I'm a very body driven, emotionally tied guy. Um, so, and I think we all, I mean, according to what he says, I think we all are, I think our body produces chemicals when we, I mean, what happens when you get embarrassed, your face turns red, that's your body right. responding to your mind. That's on the most basic level. Right. But yeah, if your body is producing chemicals, which I think we know from the effects of stress and all of that, then what if that's happening all the time? Mm. And what if what we think about is affecting the chemicals our body's producing? Right. That all makes sense. The, the one pushback I would have, or at least question I would have for him. Is when he said the ultimate source of all disease is exhaustion. Um, these these very broad stroke statements. Um, uh, I need. I would definitely need broken down some more. I wish I'd asked some questions on it. Yeah. Like, what about genetics? What about like family history? Like, I've got things genetically that I see handed down to every man in our family that I I I'm hard pressed to. To believe they just uh come from emotional issues that yeah for for each generation right like Correct. we're just manifesting the same right yeah yeah 
So yeah, I would, I, if there's a part two, I want to ask that question. Yeah. And I think there has to be, right. I think there, it would be great to have a follow-up. Um, but I kind of go along with this, with that same uh, thought process, right. That um, I forget the source. I wish I could cite source, but I can't that 85% of our health is handed down to us versus DNA via DNA. 15% is what we control, right. Through exercise, diet, meditation, our emotional state, 15% is a lot, right? If I'm 230 pounds, I can probably be 200, right? But I can't be 160 or, you know, I don't know. 23 and me says, uh, gives you pretty clear to, um, numbers and like what groups you are in, um, based on your, your saliva, which is all DNA, right? So that part of the science world says it's, it's really important that we focus on what we're doing because that 15% can compound over the generations, but 85% is what you're handing to your kids, right? So use your body well, but that's an incremental change, right? You can't, you can't erase heart disease in your family just by being happy. Uh, you know, maybe, I don't know. Depending on who you talk to. Yeah. Depending on who you talk to. Jake would agree with that. But that's what I would love to have two doctors, right. With kind of different and backed by data. Right. I don't really want opinion. And I think Jake said that he's moved away from, he doesn't really crack anyone. He's more of almost like a mind chiropractor now. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is a whole different. So he's really focusing on how can he affect people via the mind, not really through their body. So, um, you know, and I've, I, my therapist is a clinical psychologist who's moving more into the body space. Mm. I think everybody's recognizing this connection and trying to unite the two. I mean, yeah. I would probably love to go to a facility <clears throat> that there was an MD and a, and a psychologist and everybody, 100%. you know, like they're all working together. Uh, and I think when you get into a lot of these, like, I like, you know, when I worked at the alcohol and drug rehab world, we have all of those people on staff. We have pastors, therapists, medical mm. doctors, and they're all convening together to talk about the clients and the best approach for the client. And I think that that probably is the future of medicine for all of us, hopefully. And as our future guest in a couple of weeks, Stephen Garber would say, just, that's why a seamless life. <laughs> a seamless <laughs> because life. it's true. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like that's it's it's to me, it's one of those things that. I don't understand why it's taken us so long to understand that, right? Why? And maybe the ancients understood that better than we did, right? We It, it feels like they were kind of more in tune with that. And then we moved away from it once our knowledge increased. Yeah, We kind of compartmentalized things. And now we're moving back towards this mysticism of what it is to be human, right? Mm-hmm. And trying to figure out this kaleidoscope of of health and wellness. Yeah, I mean, they. to be fair, they didn't have access to science, so they had to kind of lean on that, right? Right, yeah, and, yeah. You know, and they got some things right and some things wrong. I mean, pretty much right. all seizures, I think they attributed to demonic possession, right? Right, right, so, right. Yeah, I'm not saying that they um, had it figured out, right? <laughs> but yeah. uh, one thing we have to highlight here, and uh, I fully own the fact that I leveraged this in the title of the podcast, <laughs> is that less than a week after we recorded this podcast, it was announced that Tiger Woods' ex-girlfriend is suing him for $30 million for for abuse, trauma, uh, sending her on a on a vacation. And when she got to the airport telling her that the 
locks on the house have been changed and she's no longer welcome to live there. Uh, and listen, relationships, there's two stories to every two sides sure. to every story, right? Or probably three. But um, yeah, interesting that this is that was how we kind of jumped into this podcast and that happened this week. Yeah, it is fascinating. <laughs> so stay tuned. When you're yeah, listening stay- to this, you're probably listening to or I don't know if you're if you're in the future, you're listening to this going, hey, that all got sorted out. And yeah, who knows? but maybe not. Yeah. Once again, the value is in knowing yourself, right? It really ties into what we're trying to do. It it, it was focusing on whether you agree with it or not. It is um, this really critical point that you, you have to focus on your emotional wellness and how it's affecting you and what your sweet spot is and how, how your body's reacting if you want to remain healthy. Right. I think, um, and that's part of our, our title, right. Knowing others, knowing yourself, you know, so I just, I love it because there's, doesn't matter who we're talking to. There's just proof in the pudding that (laughs) this concept of, Oh, we have to really have the curiosity to know ourselves and others is so important on a medical level. And, interpersonal level and professional level so yeah one thing that stood out to me is how many things have been connected between the guests we've only done like six or seven episodes now uh, but we've seen and heard similarities between all the guests talking whether it be talking about you know a couple of our guests mentioned the emotions wheel uh others have talked about this uh, connection between your mind and your body and uh knowing yourself and um, being self-aware and mindful in order to walk in physical and emotional health. And I think it just shows how important this topic is and, and that there is a, a movement, I would say, right now happening in, in this whole space. One last thing I noticed that I wanted to talk about was, um, remember when I asked him, when did you first get curious about this area of medicine? Yeah. And do you remember what he said? Yeah, when he when he went out to lunch with that doctor. Before that, though, he said when he was a child. He said his mom said, hey, we're going to just right, stop right, right, drinking right. sodas and see how that makes us feel. Yeah, 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 right. Yep. And some of his, his physical problems went away. And I think that our view of medicine and health is greatly affected by our mothers and their view of medicine and health. Like what you feel like is an acceptable diet, what eating is like, you know, some families, it's everybody for themselves. Others, it's, we've all got to sit down at the table. Some it's like healthy food. Other it's, you know, we went and got takeout every night because both parents work, but, or even the way that parents think about doctors and relate to doctors, you know, in our family, we were at the doctor a lot. Like we kind of had like a medicine chest in in my mom's bathroom of leftover stuff of antibiotics and things like that right. to kind of get, um, pres- you know, self-prescribed. But what do you think about that? Uh, not for me. Um, my, my mom was heavy into me- like medication, right? She took, she had headaches every day, took painkillers every day for it. And, um, I found out really quickly. I used to have headaches all the time when I was little and I'll take Tylenol all the time. And then when I grew up, I'm like, what is the reason for the headaches? Right. I don't want to just treat it with Tylenol. 
So when I was like 20, I kind of looked into it and I haven't had headaches since I left the house. Like literally I had headaches all the time when I was younger. Mm. So through exercise and uh, stress management and just hydration, right? Like so they say like 90% of headaches are just hydration. Um, uh, so, and not that my mom was wrong, but it was very, we, she treated symptoms and I, I'm just, I guess I'm a, I've always been a contrarian, right? I've, I always second guess probably drives my parents crazy. Still drives my dad's, my dad nuts with my, yeah. And our, and our diet was all, uh, carb based. It was carbs and fat, right? It was casseroles. And so I had no, um, and I may be the anomaly, right? I had no, uh, nothing correlates to how I live now from what I experienced growing up. Um, and that's so you're saying it, your headaches stopped when you moved out of your parents' house. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's because I, you know, I started drinking more and I was exercising and I was eating. I don't know. Or maybe because you weren't in your parents' house. Or maybe because it wasn't. <laughs> I think this is episode two. Is Doctor Jake Hyde sits down with Sean Scott and figures out why his headaches went away when he left his parents' house. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't want to say that, but. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, I think yeah. that's all we got. I think. Yep. Thank you everybody for listening. And uh, thank you for uh, continuing to uh, check in with us, keep up with our podcast, follow it, like it, subscribe it. Uh, I now understand why all these podcasters tell you to do that because it helps people stay connected with you, Yeah. but also share your questions or ideas for us. If you have ideas for a guest, um, or if you have questions about a, a podcast guest that we've had on or, or feedback, please let us know. It's just simply Sean at knownexperience.com, John at knownexperience.com. Our website shockingly is knownexperience.com. Uh, <laughs> but uh, thank you again for being with us. Um, and uh, again, we hope that you continue to enjoy and live in and experience the power of being known. Oh,